All right, well, we come to the end of our series today, Erased, is the series we've been in for the last few weeks. And if you weren't here for the beginning of that, some of you I know missed the, the first part of that as I explained why uh, the series is called Erased. And I know that some of you have wondered about that, you've asked about that. The reason that the series is called Erased is because so often, as it relates to the Trinity, the triune God, the one member that we stand most likely to overlook or neglect to the point that we might as well even just erase him uh, would be the person of the Holy Spirit. So often, especially in non-charismatic churches, when we tend to kind of overlook him and look past him. And so throughout this series, we've talked about specific areas of our life that we need to remember the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital for that his ministry is absolutely a necessity for in our life if we have any hope of, of being successful and of being effective and of having strength and joy and hope in our Christian experience. And so we've talked about several different specific areas. I won't go back over those. I would invite you to tune into our podcast or to go on our website. You can stream those messages uh, if you need to catch up. But as we come to a conclusion today, I want us to talk about the Holy Spirit's work and presence and power as it relates to the whole church. We've talked several different ways in several different weeks now about the individual impact that the Holy Spirit has on the individual believer, but I want us to make sure we talk about his impact and his work in the corporate body. And I think that's very important because while we may not neglect him or forget about him from a theological standpoint, uh, very likely we won't do that, From a doctrinal perspective, we're going to know the Holy Spirit is God and we're going to be talking about him in that way. And and so it's not so much a danger theologically that we would erase the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I do believe it is entirely possible for us to neglect and overlook and even forget about him in our practice, in our methodology, in our action and what we do with what we know. I think that's entirely possible. And I think that happens a lot more often than we would care to admit. And, you know, as a pastor, I often have discussions with other pastors and other church leaders, and I read articles and listen to podcasts and read books where the question is always asked, it always comes up in one form or another, How can the church remain relevant? Maybe you've asked that same question. Or maybe you've heard such a discussion. It seems to be uh, a very current question. And uh, it's frequently brought up in all sorts of different contexts. Is the church relevant? Is one question. And, And another question is, how can it remain relevant? And another question is, how can it be more relevant? Those questions are asked frequently, and perhaps that's something that you have wrestled with yourself. I don't know. But I love this quote from a very, very good book on uh, the topic of the Holy Spirit, The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And I have uh, this quote here on your handout, if you you can take that out. It says, uh, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. 
The church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. Isn't that a great statement? And so, in the question of relevance, is the church relevant? How can it be more relevant? What needs to happen? Um, Really, I, I can suggest two very simple answers that I think cover the entire area of thought. A church can avoid irrelevance, and the church can always be relevant as long as it clings to, elevates, promotes, and submits to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Church, we do those two things all the time in all that we do in every aspect and area of our ministry. We're going to be relevant because the Word of God is always relevant. It's the only body of truth that will always be relevant, that will always provide an impact for every culture, every demographic, and every age. And the Spirit of God is the one that empowers that. He's the one that that keeps that true. He's the, the power behind the Word. He's the very one that inspired the Word of God. And He's the one that applies that Word to our hearts and our lives. So as long as we submit to and and hold up and cling to, hold fast to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we we will not struggle to be relevant, I guarantee it. And I I feel so strongly about that that I want to suggest this statement, that the church's level of effectiveness is directly tied to its level of dependence on the Holy Spirit. The church's level of effectiveness is directly tied to its level of dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be all the different activities that we come up with and have. It's not going to be the level of the quality of the preaching, although that's important. It's not going to be how great or, or how um, moving our music is, although there's nothing wrong with trying to pursue that. It's not going to be all the different side um, activities and options that we offer that will truly gauge how effective we are. All that stuff, you know, those external measurements that really can come and it can go. And all that is really peripheral. What really is going to determine and what's going to show how effective the church really is, is how much are we depending on the Holy Spirit's power. And does that that go through every aspect and every corner of our ministry? In other words, does everything we do come back to the power of the Holy Spirit? In everything that we seek to do, all that we evaluate, and and when we're looking at should we do this ministry, and should we do that outreach, and, and what should we eliminate, and what should we add to, when we ask those questions as a church, in all of those questions, the one overall question that needs to be asked is, are we depending on the Holy Spirit's power? Is He the source of strength behind everything we do? 
Acts 1.8 contains Jesus' final words to his disciples before he went back to the Father. And he wanted to make sure they understood what needed to happen for them to fulfill the mission that he had already given them to do. Before he, he left and before they went out to serve and, and to be those commissioned ones, he wanted to make sure they understood what was necessary. And he said this, Acts 1.8, But you will receive power. And that word power that we see there, that English word, in the original Greek, that's the word that we get our word dynamite from. So, I mean, what, what, what Jesus is saying is, you're going to receive explosive power. You're going to receive the ability uh, to do things that you, you can't even think or imagine. You're, you're going to just have this explosiveness inside of you, available to you, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. But you will receive power, dynamite-type power, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Jesus didn't say, now that you have all of my, my words that I've given you over these last three and a half years, now that you've seen all these miraculous displays of, of power and of healing, now that you know what you know and now that you've experienced what you've experienced, now you can go out and, and just go at it, man. Go, go get the world for me. That's not what he said. In the verses leading up to this, he actually said, Wait. I know I've, I've commissioned you. I've told you to be my witnesses throughout all the world. To go and preach the gospel. To make disciples of all nations. I've, I've told you to do that. You've, you've received that commission. But now you need to wait. And it seems like an odd thing to say, right? Because here's Jesus. He's getting ready to go. He's commissioned the disciples. He's told them all they need to know. He's given them these, these last uh, nuggets of truth and instruction. He's now gone to the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's actually come back. And for 40 days, he's ministered to them, encouraging them. He's reinstated Peter. He's done all these amazing things. It doesn't seem like anything else should happen. It's like, okay, let's go get it. Open the gates. Let's charge ahead. But Jesus says, wait. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. And then the disciples, bless their hearts, we would do the same thing. They immediately uh, still had everything focused on the here and the now and the, the current. And they said, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore Israel to power? You're going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is it, is it happening now? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons the Father has established by his authority. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait and I want you to not do anything until this happens. Until you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. That's what you need. That's vital. You can't do anything worthy of the gospel. You can't do anything of value for me, for the gospel. Building the kingdom is useless, guys, until this happens. And church... My brothers and sisters, we need to remember that. This is just as true for us as it was for them. 
Okay, We don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm suggesting. We have the Spirit of God in us, dwelling in us. If you're in Christ, that's true of you. So I'm not talking about like literally waiting for the Spirit to come. That's happened. And He's in you. But what we do need to follow and focus on, just like the original disciples did, is the fact that we cannot and should not do a single thing for the gospel, for the kingdom. We should not try to build Christ's church even for a second apart from the Holy Spirit's power. And that needs to be remembered because we so often focus on on all these other things. And we look to all these other aspects of church life that are good things, but we often do so at the expense of total dependence on the Spirit of God. And let's just, let's just take this church as an example. I mean, this is a gifted church. This is a talented church. This is a very intelligent church. You know, um, when I was in school here and, and then when we moved away and, and came back, um, you know, one thing that kept being said about this church, like when other people would talk about Faith Baptist, one of the kind of claims to fame was, man, that is a scholarly group of people. That is a, that is a theologically rich group of people. And you know what? That, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Those are good things to have said. The danger, though, here's the danger. When we become so intelligent and so scholarly, and when we focus so much on having every little tiny detail of of theology and doctrine all mapped out and down, the danger is that we can forget to depend on the Spirit as much. So hear me, I'm I'm not saying knowing theology and, and having your doctrine down is a bad thing. It's not. It's a good thing. We need to do that. And we need to use the minds that God has given us and to stretch those and expand those. I mean, we need to do that. I'm all for that. I am a student of theology. I am a student of doctrine. Sometimes Leanne just rolls her eyes because I'm so excited about this, this book and this material. I'm just, I think it's the greatest thing in the world. And I tell her about it, you know, and she's like, oh, that's great. You know, it's kind of like her trying to explain to me some of the concepts she teaches through her school. You know, I mean, there's, there's different sides of, of the coin there. And so I'm all for expanding and I'm all for challenging and I'm definitely all for knowing what we believe and why. But we can get so focused on the academic that we lose sight of the spiritual. And we can rest on what we know and we can rest on our talents and our gifts so much that if we're not careful, we'll forget the source of all of that, which is the Holy Spirit. So this is a very good reminder for us too, that just as the disciples needed the Spirit's power, if they were to do anything of value for the Savior, we need that reminder too. 
And then here's, here's what the result of the Holy Spirit coming, the result of his dynamite power. Here's what the result of it is. And you will be my witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, when the disciples received the power, when the Holy Spirit came on them, the natural result of that was that they would be the witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same is true for us. If you are in Christ, you've received the Spirit of God. He's in you. He's dwelling in you right now. The, the God of all the universe is residing in your spirit through Christ. And just as the result of that for the disciples was that they were witnesses for Christ, witnesses of Christ, that's exactly what that means for you and me too. And notice in Acts 1.8, Jesus did not say, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will go do witnessing. It's not what he said. He said, you will be my witnesses. There's a very big difference. And that's the other thing we often neglect. We, we tend to wrap evangelism and discipleship in this, this little package that is this act. Like, I'm going to go do witnessing. I'm going to go do discipleship. As if it's just a process. And when that process is done and that action is done, then you know, there's no more witnessing. There's no more evangelism until the next occurrence, until the next activity, until the next event. We're, we're very event-minded. We're very activity-oriented. But what Jesus is saying here is not you're going to go do witnessing like, like an isolated activity. He said you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, when the Spirit comes upon you in His power, He's going to change every aspect of your life so that your whole life now is a witness to me. All that you are now is to be a witness of me and about me. What I did in coming and going to the cross and rising from the dead, but, but not just that, who and what I am, Jesus is saying here. To be a witness for Christ is to bear witness of him in everything that you are, in everything that you do, in his death, in his resurrection, but also in his character, who he is, what he's like. And so what that means for us as, as a body, as the church, is that the church should be a spotlight. The church should be a spotlight for the Lord Jesus. The church of Jesus should not ever seek to or be content with allowing the spotlight to remain on us, on, on the church itself. The church should be all about the spotlight being on the Lord Jesus. That's our purpose. That is the purpose of the church. To shine a great big spotlight on him so that others outside of the church are drawn not to the church, but are drawn to the Lord of the church, the Savior of the church. If people talk more about the style of a church, the music of a church, the experience of a church, the leader of the church, if they talk more about those things, if they talk more about the individual programs and the activities and the events of a church, if that's what people come away with and if that's what people are impressed by, then we are doing something wrong. 
for the church to really be effective and for the church to live out the mission that we were given, for the church to really be what God desires the church to be, everyone that comes in contact with the church should be talking about, wow, they really love their Savior. Wow, I really heard a lot about Jesus. Wow, look at what they are able to do for Jesus. It should all be about Jesus. He's what should be on everyone's mind and heart as a result of engaging with his church. He's what should wow people. He's what should impress people. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do everything we do to the best of our ability. We should. We should pursue excellence in all things. Why? Because we are the church of Jesus and he's worthy of that. But it should never be. We should never pursue things with excellence and do things to the best of our ability for our name's sake or for our glory, or for our fame. That should not be ever what motivates what we do or what we are. It's his fame, his glory, his renown that we promote. And it's also knowing that it's only by the Spirit of God that a life gets changed. I mean, I can't change a person, no matter what I might say up here. I can't change a heart. You can't change A person either, no matter what you say or do. Only the Spirit of God gives life. Only He can do that through us. And so, as a church body, what we need to do is to shine the spotlight on Jesus, on His gospel, because that's what the Spirit uses to bring true, eternal change into a person. It's always Jesus and what He's done. So let's let's be a spotlight on Him and not on ourselves. So what we need to remember as we do this is that it's, it's never about us. It's never our opinion that we're promoting. It's never just what we think about a certain thing that we need to be stating. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord... And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, here's the purpose of that, to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the light that you and I have received, the light from God, the the light that he has shown in our hearts, just like he shone light into a, a dark formless creation, the same concept there, that light is not just for our purpose and it's certainly not just for our glory so that people will say, oh, look how beautiful and bright you are. No, it's so that we can give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. It's so we can just keep pointing to Him in all that we are and all that we do. And the Holy Spirit is the power source of all that. We're the spotlight The Holy Spirit powers the spotlight. He's the power source that we need to be the spotlight we're supposed to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only are we a spotlight on the Lord Jesus, as Acts 1.8 tells us, we are also a witness for Jesus. And, And here's what we need to understand and remember. A witness for Jesus, which we all are, if if you're in Christ, that's what you are. A witness for Jesus should be like Jesus. You know, think of 
Think of an ambassador. We have ambassadors in this country, and every country does. And a good ambassador is going to represent their nation, but also their leaders well. They're going to represent them well. They're going to resemble them. They're not going to detract. They're going to be, as it were, the leader there in that meeting or in that conference or before that throne or or whatever it may be. A, A good ambassador is going to represent their nation and their leader well. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, that means we need to be like him. We need to resemble him. That doesn't mean we are him, but it means that he should be clearly seen in and through us. A good ambassador represents his leader well, and and a witness for Jesus should be like Jesus. And Colossians 3.12 through 14 gives us a really good challenge, a good admonition to have in our lives as believers, to, to have on display in the church characteristics and attitudes and mindsets that are very much a part of Jesus. How he treated people and the way he went about things and how he was and how he is. The challenge in this passage is to model that, to have that part of our heart and our mind and our lives and the way we treat one another. Look at what Paul says here. Colossians 3.12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, because that's true of us, here's what we're to do. Put on, just like you're putting on clothing, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. And here's, here's a, a really important part not to glance over. Just as the Lord has forgiven you. Think about all that you've been forgiven of. Think about the depth of the forgiveness that you've been shown. Think about the power of the forgiveness that you are a recipient of. And take that and apply that to your forgiveness with one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And then here's the concluding statement that's just incredibly powerful. Above all, put on love. And this is the unconditional agape love that we see in our Savior. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In John 17, before Jesus went to the cross in his great prayer before the Father, which is rightly called his high priestly prayer, he could have said a lot of things. He could have prayed for a lot of things for his disciples, the ones there with him and you and me today. He could have prayed for a lot. But what he prayed for in that chapter, John 17, before he went to the cross, he prayed for, he asked the Father to grant unity among his followers, among those that named his name as Savior and Lord. Unity is incredibly important to Jesus because he said in that prayer, in John 17, he said, that the world may know that you, Father, have sent me. I pray that they will be one as we are one. Unity is what will speak louder than just about anything else that we might say or do. 
When the world looks in on us and sees us together, joined together, despite differences, despite varying opinions, despite varying preferences, which we're all going to have, always will, but despite all that, if they see this this great thread going through all that, despite all those things, if they see those pushed to the side and they see this great thread of unity, they're going to take notice because that's absent from everything they know. And the perfect bond of unity, it's love. It's love. So above all those things, those character traits in the previous verses, above all, put on love is what we're challenged to do and what we're called to do. I want to draw your attention to another quote from the Forgotten God book by Francis Chan. Along this same line of of thought here, the same concept as what we just read from the scripture. He says this, The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. See, if our love for one another and our unity among one another, if our bearing with one another, showing grace and compassion to one another, forgiving one another, if all of that isn't what marks us, if that's not what defines us, then no matter what else we might have that is right, and no matter what we do that really is good, it really isn't going to matter. Because the only thing that's going to really penetrate the defenses of the unbelieving heart and mind is to see something totally different. And when they see those things in us, that's what will do it. And they'll be drawn and they'll want to know, what are you guys doing? How are you able to treat each other this way? How are you able to to show love to someone when they have mistreated you for the thousandth time? And how are you able to keep forgiving and keep forgiving? And how are you able to, to be so unselfish? How are you able to do this and that? And I mean, I mean, they'll ask as they see it on display in your lives, out there in the world and And as they see it in our gathering, I mean, that's what we need to be known as being. Faith Baptist Church, man, they're a church that loves one another. Faith Baptist Church, man, they are a church that is one united group of people. Faith Baptist Church, man, you want to see compassion. You want to see an example of kindness. Look at them. And they're going to want to know how they can have that too. And our answer, your answer and my answer, our answer together, won't be, yeah, that's just how good we are. (laughs) Yeah, well, have you seen our pastor? (laughs) Definitely won't be that. No, the answer, the only answer that would be in any way logical and intelligent, and certainly the only answer that would be honest, is Zechariah 4.6. Not by might, nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's, that's our answer. Zerubbabel was the leader of the clan of Judah after the captivity in Babylon, and, and he was tasked with going back and rebuilding the temple and leading people back. And so he went and he, he started this work of rebuilding the temple, and he got discouraged because people from Samaria were coming in and they were disrupting the work, and he didn't have all that he needed to do it. He was lacking in materials, he was lacking in manpower, he was lacking in motivation. I mean, he was having some bad days. Here he was trying to do this great work, coming back from exile to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild God's temple. I mean, what a worthy task, right? What a noble calling. Let's rebuild the temple. Let's rebuild the center of worship for our people. Let's bring them back to God. Great calling. Good stuff. But it wasn't happening. He was getting discouraged. And so people like Haggai and other contemporary prophets said, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And God gave him a message. And it was this. He said, Zerubbabel, I've called you to do this work. You're the one that I've chosen to do it. You're the one that's going to lead this. And I know you're discouraged, but listen, it's not about materials. It's not about having the right things in place for the building. It's not about having every single person lined up to do every single thing that you think should happen. It's not about your agenda being carried out and your plans that you've drawn for this. It's not all about that. That's not what's going to build my temple. And he said this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. That's how it's going to happen. That's how I'm going to rebuild the temple. That's how I'm going to bring Israel back to me. Because it was never even about the structure. It was about bringing the people back to God. It was about building their hearts and their minds. It was about building the people of God up again. And my brothers and sisters, I have to say this to you and I have to say it to myself. I'm preaching to me too. We are never going to build Christ's kingdom. We're never going to build his church by might or by power or by intelligence or by agenda or by this strategy and that strategy. Not that strategies are bad. Not that having a plan is bad. None of that is is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have to look past that. We have to look beyond that. We have to take all that, ball it all up and put it at the feet of God and submit and surrender all of it and ourselves in entirety to the Spirit of God. Because just as it was true for Zerubbabel, it's true for us that it's only by the power of the Spirit of God that we are going to see His work go forward and His work be built up and the kingdom of Christ advanced. It's only through the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power source of all of it. He's the power source of all of it. And we have that that power in us, available to us, working in and through us. But it's never about us. It's never for our sake. It's never for our fame or our honor. Look what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says. I love this verse. But we have this treasure... In jars of clay, it's where the music group got their name, jars of clay, if you like them, good group, it's where they got their name. 
but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power, this all-surpassing power, is from God or belongs to God and not from us. See, we, we are so frail. We are so weak. No matter how strong physically we might be, no matter how sharp mentally we might be, we, all of us, are incredibly frail creatures. We're so prone to selfishness. We're so prone to sin. You know, we're, we're so prone to breaking down. None of us are guaranteed anything. And yet, it's that frail substance, humanity, you and me, that God, in his unbelievable mercy and love, decided to redeem, to bring back to himself through the sacrifice of his son, and in that, because of that, to give us his very spirit to indwell us. It's, it's you and me, these, these frail, weak beings that we are, that the Spirit of God has decided to indwell and empower. And to what end? For what purpose? To show, to put on display, to, to leave without any doubt that this all-surpassing power of God is Him and not us. To, to shine this great big spotlight on His majesty and His glory and his ability, not ours. It's like what Paul said when he asked God to remove the thorn in the flesh. And he just wouldn't do it. And, and, and the Lord Jesus actually said to him, Paul, it is in your weakness that I am made strong. It's because of your weakness that I am made great. My glory, Paul, is on, on display even more because your glory is diminished. And Paul, when he realized that, he said, Oh, I didn't think of it that way. And his conclusion was, okay, great. I will therefore now glory all the more in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But it wasn't because he found some secret personal strength. It was because he realized he is strong in the strength of God. And that God's strength is more pronounced through his weakness. And that's what will always be true of us. And that's what we need to keep at the forefront of all that we do and all that we are as the church of Jesus. And it's only possible through the power of the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we keep that in mind? How do we pursue that? How do we live that out? Well, the number one way is through constant prayer. Collective prayer. Individual, personal prayer. And then together when we meet, it's through constant prayer. Bowing our hearts and our heads and our minds and and all that we are before God asking the Spirit of God to bring this all out in and through us. It happens through prayer. And that's what I want to do right now. I've asked my fellow pastors to be prepared to lead us in, in a couple specific prayers. I want to have you do that now. Pastor Scott, Pastor Matthew, if you can come on up. Because all of this, all of this can only be granted to us as we ask for it, as we seek it. And that happens through prayer. So Pastor Scott is going to lead us in a prayer asking that, that we will, by the power of the Spirit, depend on the Spirit, basically. And that in all that we do, we will, we will be depending on Him as we've, as we've talked about today. So Pastor Scott, will you lead us in that way? And then Pastor Matthew can uh, follow up. Let's pray together. 
Father, we come to you this morning admitting that in ourselves we are so weak. We're nothing. And yet in your grace, you've chosen to pull us together in the name of Christ and to put us in this body. And to give us the opportunity to be a part of building a kingdom that is eternal. And Father, we often fail in our humanity and in our flesh. We often get angry with one another. Lord, we sometimes have hatred towards each other. Sometimes we ignore each other's pain. Sometimes we have an agenda that we just absolutely know is the right thing and we just have to make it happen. And we're willing to run over other people to achieve it. Hmm. And Father, in all those things, we are failing as a body. Lord, we do want the community around us to see us as a people who magnify the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Lord, I know there will be failures. And I know that that's part of a process of you growing us. So, Lord, may we never ignore the teaching of your spirit. Yes. In fact, Holy Spirit, I pray to you right now that you would be in this place in such a way that we would love so well, Mm. that we would rebuke in love and take rebuke in love in a way that brings glory to you. That we would rally around People in our body and people in our community that are hurting, that are lonely. That we would love and support them, care for them. Lord, that we would give generously, sacrificially to each other. Spirit, I pray that we would be a people that build one another up. Yes. That are willing to set ourselves aside to see what you want to do what you want and I pray Father that because of that the light that you have built within us will shine brightly in the name of Jesus Christ Mm. Amen Lord, you know, you know our hearts, you know our weakness, you know that at our very best, the, the, the good face that we put forward on our own is just a thin veil, we're nothing but a Humpty Dumpty, Mm. we are a jar of clay. 
and we're so unworthy to carry your light into this world. And, and yet, even though we know you could accomplish your will without us, you have ordained that you would use us to be your vessels. You've chosen to work through cracked pots through the simplest of tools, so prone to error and so prone to to failure. And yet throughout history, you've, you've worked through vessels like us. Lord, we're reminded how Moses when he was to meet with you, he asked to see you, and you told him, no, no, you can't look on me. You will die. But I'll make a concession for you. I will hide you in, a, in the crevice in a rock, and I will pass by, and I will let you see just a glimpse of the glory behind me. And even in that glimpse, he was transformed. His countenance was so bright that the Israelites could not look on him. This wasn't a glory of his own. This was the glory of eternal God. Mm. And so, Father... Even as Moses, without the benefit of the Holy Spirit, was able to carry that kind of glory into the world, Lord, we, we recognize that we have an incredible privilege. As bearers of the Holy Spirit of God, mm. to reflect your beautiful glory, mm. your glorious light, Darkness is the absence of light, and our world is so full of darkness, but light dispels darkness. And so as you have called us to be your, your image bearers, as you have called us to be your ambassadors, as you have called us to reflect your glory in this world, Father, this morning as a body, we we turn to you we ask your help that we would never take this glory as our own, mm. but that we would reflect your glorious light back to you, that a world would look at us and not even see us yes. in the light of your glory, that they would see that we have been transformed by something completely outside of us, yes. and that it now lives in us and desires to live in them. Yes. Holy Spirit, you desire to live in us and to glow out through us and to, to reflect the beauty of our Lord. Yes. Help us, Lord, to do this. May we never turn another direction and reflect your glory somewhere else. May all praise and all glory be given to you. And may you, as we do this together, multiply and focus it 
that no man, no woman, no boy, no girl in this community could ever, could ever look our direction and see anything but the glory of God. Be glorified, Lord. Through sad little cracked pots, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for hearing us, Father. Thank you for giving us the power to do what we have heard from you through your word. Help us to do that, I pray, to surrender to your power every moment of every day. I pray this on behalf of everyone gathered here in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.